choir almost didn't get on, out on time because the young adults, members of the choir said they had a good Sunday school lesson and then they said Ralph was a teacher. I don't know, that doesn't seem like that ought to go together. Good Sunday school, Ralph, but you know. <sighs> Maybe he learned a lot, you know, from his school teachers. Is that, you still love him, okay. <laughs> Uh, it's good to see all of you. Uh, glad we can be together at this time for worship. And if you are a guest here today visiting with us, we're glad to have you here and uh, sincerely invite you to come back to worship with us again as often as you can. You will always be welcome here with us. Uh, in your bulletin, there are lots of announcements. A uh, reminder to the children of their program tonight, um, Mission Kids Choir and also Bible study for adults as well as children. Um, please remember that the children's choirs meet in a new location now, which is over in the uh, social hall, gets us a little closer together. Um, the March mission project for the children is collecting items for Miracle Hill Children's Home, and the March Bible study topic is learning all about Lent. So we invite our children to be present for that and also the youth, their activities and whatnot. Uh, and other announcements are there in your bulletin. I know that like me, you have been glued to the TV set because of the natural disasters uh, in, on both sides of the Pacific, really. Um, one of the things I want to remind you of is that um, the, the United Methodist Church is worldwide and we're already there. And so if you want to make a special contribution to help in times of natural disasters like this, um, you can give to your church and clearly mark on it that you're making this donation for like earthquake. Uh, and we will send that through the United Methodist Committee on Relief, UMCOR. Um, 100% of what you and I give through UMCOR goes to the needy because salaries and workers, uh, are, they're already paid. That's always already done through our apportionments. So what we give above and beyond to help uh, in times of crisis uh, goes right to the people in need. And so I invite you to make contributions as we think about those whose lives were devastated by that earthquake and the tsunami uh, following that uh, this last uh, few days ago. Uh, Will Lavender, I got it right this time, not Phil. Uh, Will Lavender has a, an announcement to make on behalf of, I believe, the men's club. Okay. Good morning. Uh, the Methodist men would just like to, in your bulletin, we've also put a note that the um, Methodist men is doing a yard sale and barbecue this year. The date... Uh, was previously something else and now it's April 2nd. Um, Saturday is three weeks and we will be starting a yard sale that morning at sunup. Tell everybody um, we'll be serving barbecue plates to go or eat in for seven dollars a plate. Chop barbecue, slaw, beans, chips and drinks and depending on how much barbecue we have left over uh, by the pound if anybody wants to take some home as well. Um, you can take those plates to go also, and um, the proceeds, all the proceeds for this, the, the Methodist men is going to put on, will be going towards our church budget. So we're not going to keep any, we're just going to put it for the church. Thank you. 
Let us now begin our time together in worship.
our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881 of your hymnal. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join me for a few moments of sharing. like me always asking you what are you going to be when you grow up you don't get tired of that it's kind of fun to think about <clears throat> because you lots of you probably don't have any idea uh, what you're going to do when you grow up and even if you do have an idea now it may change before you get there because you're going to be learning lots more about yourself one of the things to think about Jesus is that he was one time just like you. Uh, we think about him being the Lord and our Savior and all the power and wisdom he had. But Christmas reminds us that Jesus was once a little tiny baby. And one time he was your age learning reading, writing, and arithmetic in a language that I couldn't even begin to look at. It's because their letters are all different. And Jesus had to learn all those things. And as he grew up, he learned first how to be a carpenter. He worked in his daddy's shop. And he also wondered about his future, exactly what God was calling him to do, just like you and I might wonder what God has in store for our lives. And um, Jesus, as he grew up into uh, adulthood, began wondering, what does it mean if God is calling me to be the Messiah? And he calls me his son. What does that mean? And how am I going to live? We're going to read a story a, bit, a little bit later today about how Jesus went out into a, a desert area by himself. And he spent a real long time thinking and praying. And he didn't eat. And he got tired and hungry. And he got tempted about what he might do with his future. And we can learn a little bit about the questions he was asking himself when we look at those temptations because it all had to do with how am I going to conduct my life now that God has called me to a very special job well we'll think about that as we look at the temptation stories in a minute and we remember that temptation comes to all of us temptation to do wrong 
our temptation maybe to do less than our best. And I think that's really how Jesus was tested. The uh, first part of that temptation was to do things in a different way, not his best way. And that's something for us to think about. Okay, let us have a prayer together. You can join me if you want to. Dear God, thank you for your gifts. Help me learn how you want me to use my gifts when I grow up. Amen. Thank you. Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, um, beginning in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good, from good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here ends the reading. Our responsive reading is Psalm 32 on page 766 of your hymnal. I invite you to stand as you're able and join me in sharing this portion of scripture together. <clears throat> Blessed, are Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When I did not declare my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, let those who are godly offer prayer to you. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You encompass me with deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like an unruly horse or mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Epistle reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. And join me in the prayer of confession first that is printed there in your bulletin. Let us pray. Almighty God, your blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. Come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weakness of each of us, let us one find you mighty to save through Jesus Christ, your Son, 
our Lord. Amen. Lord, we are thankful to hear the good news that Jesus was born into this world of opportunity and trouble and is like us in every way, even down to the point of having to discover your will for his life and being tempted to go away from your will, even as we are tempted day by day. And we confess to you, Lord, what you already know, that there have been times when we have turned away from the straight and narrow. We have wandered off the correct path. We're not like Jesus in that his love for you remains steadfast. And he was able, through the wisdom that you gave him, to resist all temptation. Help us, Lord, when we are tempted to draw strength from the example of Christ and know that we can overcome. But at the same time, help us to know that when we fail, that that becomes an opportunity for growth and that you can help us to build strength into that area of weakness and that you can help us build for tomorrow in ways that will assure that we can grow beyond our recent failures. So we're thankful for this. We're thankful that you lead us on toward perfection and maturity, <clears throat> that we can become like Christ, even if we've got a long, long way to go. And we're thankful, Lord, to have your presence with us and the assurance of your love. <clears throat> there are so many things we don't understand about life on this earth. When a hurricane spill, uh, spins out of control and slams into our country, or when an earthquake happens and a following tidal wave takes countless lives in a moment's time, we are left wondering about nature and the forces that you created here on earth to give life and good things to us, and how it is that sometimes they can spin out of control but we're thankful, Lord, that you're always here and that whenever things happen to us out of control, you come to give us your control and your strength and your grace. So we pray for our kinsmen, our cousins, our connections half a world away who need your love this day. May they through us be reassured of your continuing care for them and your love for them. And we thank you, Lord, that in all the changes of life, you remain that constant force, that constant love, even as we face something as final as death itself, we find that you are there with us. And through your miraculous power, even death becomes a victory for you use it as a doorway to resurrection. And for this we give you thanks. And for your love that knows no end. And your power that is given to us in that love we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus we pray. Using the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray saying. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
chief officer or head of Greer Community Ministries. So we're, yeah, how about that? <clears throat> we're excited about that, and uh, that's what you call landing on your feet, Craig. <laughs> it's when you, uh, he recently got out of one job and landed in a good one, and we're, we're thankful for this and grateful to have him in ministry right here among us now. And as we look forward to events like Big Thursday and other things, uh, it'll have a special uh, memorial church meaning this year, that has, even more so than in the past. So we're, we're excited. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is our scripture lesson, our gospel lesson for the day. It's a familiar passage, I'm sure. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a, high, a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Here ends the lesson. What are you going to be when you grow up? is a question that most of us were asked when we were quite young. And I think we ask ourselves that question again as we get close to retirement. I know I'm asking myself a lot what I'm going to do when I finally grow up. Uh, Dennis Lee is trying to find something to do with himself since he grew up. <clears throat> very few of us know from a very early age what career they're going to pursue. Uh, most of us change our minds dozens of times along the way. At least I know that I did not become a cowboy like Roy Rogers or a baseball player like Mickey Mantle because I made other discoveries about myself in life as the years passed. When you and I became followers of Jesus Christ, we were all called into his ministry. Every Christian is a minister. Let me say that again. Every one of you Christians is a minister. So what is your ministry? Some of us who are followers of Christ were ministers who became pastors. At our monthly meetings, our district superintendent, Charles Johnson, gets several of us to tell our story. Uh, how was it that we came to understand that our call to follow Christ and be a minister got further refined where we knew we were to be ordained pastors? 
most of the people that tell their stories talk about their struggle to discern whether or not the call was to be a committed layperson or to be an ordained pastor. I thought for years I was going to be a layperson. And I thought I was going to do youth ministry for life until I was halfway through seminary. It's not always easy to discern what God's call is for your life. And if we're going to understand what it meant for the Son of God to have been incarnate on earth in human flesh, then we have to accept the fact that he was just like us as he was growing up. While he was lying in that manger, he could not understand a word his mother said to him, although he recognized her voice. Just like us, he had to learn to comprehend the meaning of words and the written language. He was a toddler in diapers once upon a time, if you can imagine that. He had little brothers and sisters who looked up to their big brother, and I imagine he did his share of babysitting. As he approached his adult years, he had decisions that he had to make about his life and his career, just like you and I did. And once he received guidance from God at his baptism, he still had to decide on the exact course that he would follow in his life. And that is what the temptation narrative is all about. We're told a mouthful in that first verse of chapter 4, Jesus was led by God's spirit into the wilderness where he was tested by Satan. Let that sentence sink, uh, sink into your mind a bit. It's a shock, really. The Bible does teach us that God does not tempt any of us, but he doesn't protect us from those places where temptation comes to us, and he even leads us into places where we can have the metal of our faith tested and tempted, where we can learn about ourselves and our strengths and weaknesses. And so Jesus was led out into the desert where he was tested for a very long time, for that's what the metaphor 40 days and 40 nights really means. It's like my daddy's 4011. It's a long time. And we're told that at the end of the long time, Jesus was hungry. He was very vulnerable at that point due to his lack of food and rest. Temptations always come to us and are aimed straight at our areas of vulnerability and weakness. And it therefore pays us as it paid Jesus to discover where we're vulnerable so that we can begin to build strength into those areas. We get a little bit of an idea of where Jesus perceived his weaknesses to be and the issues that he was wrestling with by looking at the questions that he kept asking himself and the questions that were being posed to him by the tempter. If I am the Son of God, like that voice from heaven said at my baptism, then what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to conduct my ministry? The same basic question is asked of Jesus in the first two temptations. If you really are the Son of God, then here's what you should do. The first temptation had to do with the misuse of his personal power for personal gain. Jesus, you're hungry. If you're who God says you are, then use your power to do something about it. 
change this stone into bread. Just think, Jesus, you will never have to work hard a day in your life. There's no need for you to ever plant a garden or work with your hands. Every time you're hungry, just change something into food. That stone could be bread. Those pebbles could be grapes. Doesn't that rock over there look like a pomegranate? You've got it made, Jesus. And if it would make you feel any better, then while you're at it, share some of the food that you make with the poor so that they, too, will never have to work again. If you do that, they'll do whatever you ask of them. They will make you their king. Jesus could have faced a life of ease. He could easily have become the wealthiest man in the world. He could have won a faithful following by just feeding stomachs. So the first decision Jesus made about his ministry was that he would not misuse the gifts that God had given him. He would not selfishly use his power to become rich or famous. He might be able to call down angels to defend him at every turn, but he wouldn't do that either. He would choose wise words and parables as his only tools because every word proceeding from the mouth of God is more important than bread. And we who follow Jesus will follow his example and refuse to use our personal gifts just to feather our own nests while those around us are suffering. Nor will we rob others of their independence by doing everything for them. Second temptation has Jesus wrestling with how he will present himself to people every day. Would he rely upon glitz and glamour to get himself noticed? Or would there be something substantive about his personality and his ministry that would win the hearts of the people? When I thought about that this week, I was reminded of that old Ray Stevens song written at the height of the popularity of the TV evangelist. Would Jesus wear a Rolex on his television show? Of course, back then I had had these superintendents <clears throat> appointing me to churches where I couldn't afford a Rolex or even a Timex, so I didn't have to worry about that. But, uh, but uh, that was a, a question that... Uh, Apparently, Jesus briefly entertained. He entertained the notion of making a grand entrance on a, on a tremendous scale, jumping from the pinnacle of a temple down to earth. That's a plunge of about 700 feet. That ought to do it. That's even better than a Rolex. He could draw attention to himself every day by extravagant clothing and extravagant actions, performing signs and wonders never seen before. Satan must have asked, what is it with you, Jesus, and your don't tell anybody about being healed attitude? Don't tell anybody that you're the Messiah. Don't tell anybody about your transfiguration. But that's exactly the path that Jesus chose. He would perform healing miracles in such a way that some folks would be gone away from him on their way to the priest before they realized that they'd been healed. And then they'd have to decide whether to come back and find him to thank him. He would send everybody out of the room before he raised a dead girl back to life. He turned water into wine, but 
in a way that only a handful of people knew anything about it, and they were the servants who'd carried off the jugs of water. His exaltation would be on a cross. Our healing would be in his blood. Our life would come from his death. And the empty tomb would be done in such a way that it always remained a mystery to everyone except to his very closest friends. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So Jesus chose the path of humility and service and gave us an example of how we can bless others without being flashy or drawing attention to ourselves by just being the people God made us to be. So finally, Satan said, Jesus, follow me. Having failed to tempt Jesus with prestige, power, wealth, and glamour, Satan changed his, his, his tactics. Forget about God's son and being God's son, he said, and be my child, follow me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus knew that he would be king of kings and he would be ruler of the universe after his suffering and death. This temptation was to exchange that eternal reign for earthly rewards and earthly kingdoms. It was to use his amazing talents and wisdom to lay up treasures for himself on earth rather than treasures in heaven. So when Jesus told us about that, he had already faced that temptation himself. Every day you and I are tempted to misuse all of the talents and abilities we've been given. Rather than to use our talents for good, people are tempted to use their abilities to cheat their way to success, to steal rather than to work, to cheat neighbors instead of serving them, and whenever we do this, we're actually being tempted to turn our backs on God and his will for us and follow Satan's ways. It is a temptation to bow down and worship Satan because whoever we follow and obey, that one is the one we worship as our God. You'd think that such a direct assault upon us would be easy to see right through Maybe the first two temptations seemed harmless, if a bit tricky, but this third temptation seems as clear as a bell. Evil, you see, can give us some of the things we want and can give it to us fast. But those things always come with a catch, a ball and a chain to enslave us. Jesus knew that he was destined to be king of all kingdoms, and Satan was offering him all that without the hard work, the suffering, and the dying. All Jesus had to do was sacrifice everything he believed in, everything he stood for, and do things the way evil told him to do all of his days. But Jesus knew better. He would faithfully serve God all of his days, even if that meant that his earthly days would be cut short. He knew he could always count on God to deal honestly and fairly with him. You can't count on that from evil. Get away from me, Satan, Jesus said, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Now, chronologically speaking, the temptation of Jesus happened at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, immediately following his baptism. But since the very earliest days of the church, Christians have retold this story at the beginning of the end, at the beginning of Lent, at the time when we mark the last days of Jesus. Because Lent has always called us to do some house cleaning, to clean up our spiritual houses a bit, to tighten up our behavior to where it more closely resembles the example of Christ. This story causes us to consider how we have been tempted and where we have failed so that we can at this time ask God for forgiveness and strength to do better. It marks a time when Jesus had only a very short time left on earth, and it should remind us that life on earth is growing shorter for each of us every day. The time we have left is too short to waste even a day on self-promotion, selfish living, and Satan's side trips off of the straight and narrow. As Jesus resisted temptation each and every day, just as you and I try to do, and as Jesus rededicated himself to God as he faced his final 40 days on earth, let us resist temptation and rededicate ourselves to God as we observe a holy Lent. Amen.